0: Good morning church. Good to see you all here on this fine Labor Day weekend. Um, We got a lot of people out on vacation because Labor Day is an awesome holiday to celebrate and nobody even knows what it's really about. But we celebrate it anyway. Who cares, right? So uh, if you're new here, my name is Matt Ortiz. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, it's my hope that after the service, you introduce yourself to me. And um, if you don't have anything going on tonight, tonight at 6 o'clock, we'll be here in uh, the cafe. And uh, it's very important that, that you sign up to be here tonight if you are going uh, to be here so we can plan for you. If, you, if no one signs up, we're not going to show up and stare at each other. We'll just wait until next time. But if you're new and you sign up, for this one tonight, be here, and um, and we'll we'll get to know you, and hopefully you can get to know us a little bit better. So to bring you up to speed, we just wrapped up um, a series on the book of James through the summer, and today we are kicking off a sermon series in the book of Joshua. Now, as I was preparing for this, I learned that that uh, well, one of the commentators named. Martin Woodstra says this about the book. He says, an air of optimistic joy pervades the book of Joshua. He says, the keynote is the faithfulness of God to keep all of his promises. And he goes on to say, in a world of overwhelming problems and problems in our own lives, with, with crushing difficulties, the remedy is the message of the book of Joshua, that God is faithful and that God will keep all of his promises. Now, at the same time, if, if uh, you're not familiar with the, the book of, of Joshua, you need to know that The book of Joshua is intense. Those of you who've read it, you know what I'm talking about, right? The book of Joshua is intense. It is filled with these epic exploits and and battles. And at times as we're going through this, you might find yourself cheering for, for, for prevailing justice in the face of oppressive injustice. And there's also a very good chance that as we're going through this book, You'll be disturbed, maybe even appalled. So we're going to struggle with this and wrestle with this together, and I just wanted to give you a heads up. We're going to roll up our sleeves and get into it. I want to begin, I want to begin with uh, the elephant in the room. I don't know if you noticed it or not, but a giant elephant walked in when we read verse 5. And verse 5 says this, No man shall be able to stand before you or stand up against you. What God is saying here is, I am going to give you victory over all of the nations of Canaan. So, well... That right there is code for God's judgment. But I don't believe in a God of judgment. I I believe in a God of, of love. Well, let me say, I want to tell you this just personally. I also struggle a lot with the idea of judgment. I do. But I also believe in it. And honestly, it's not always easy. Later in this sermon, I'll tell you why I believe in it. But for now, here's what I want you to do. I want to encourage all of us. We should do this on a regular basis. I need to do it myself. Ask yourself this question. And the question is, do I have a God? Do I believe in a God that can contradict me? Do I have a God who can say to me, you need to know something. What you believe about me isn't true. And so your beliefs need to change to get more in line with the truth about me. See, if, if I do not have a God that can contradict me, that means that I'm my own God, right? And what I've learned over the years is that the God of the Bible regularly contradicts me. If my God does not contradict me, then I've made up my own God. I may as well pray to Santa Claus, right? So it's important that we ask ourselves, do I have a God that can contradict me? And and here's what I also learned, is that not only does the real God of the Bible contradict me, so does my heart. My heart contradicts me too. Now, I want you to imagine this, all right? Imagine this. Say that a judge reads the jury's verdict that says, James Fields is found guilty of murdering Heather Hayer and injuring 19 others when he drove his car into a crowd at Charlottesville. And then the judge said, but it's Okay. I forgive you. You can go. Would you be outraged by that? You would be outraged by that. We'd all be outraged by that, right? Because where's the justice? Where's the justice? Where's the love, actually, for the victims and the victim's family? Where's the love for all the other people? I mean, this guy will probably go out and do it all over again. And others will think that they can get away with it and be emboldened emboldened to do it themselves. So, the God of the Bible and my heart agree that there's got to be justice for sin. It would be unloving if there were not. For God to be loving, he must also be just. Those cannot be separated. And we'll come back to that. But here's where we're going to start. How can we have joyful optimism in a world filled with crushing injustice? How can I have joyful optimism in my own life when there are overwhelming problems? How in the world can we be strong and courageous like we're told, like we just read? How can you have that that confidence and that joy no matter what the world throws in your face? Well, the book of Joshua tells us and that's why we're looking at it. First of all, this morning, There are three things. First one is this. If you're taking notes using the outline in your bulletin, the first one is this. Know that God keeps all of his promises. Know that. God wants you to know that and he's proven it time and time again. God says, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. And then Joshua takes this message and he goes to the people of Israel and he tells the people of Israel what God told him and told them to all get ready. And so I'm sure the people were listening to Joshua and they could not believe their ears. I mean, they're finally, after all of this time, they're finally going into the promised land. I mean, they would have been overwhelmed with joy. I mean, this is what we've longed for. God promised our father, Abraham, to give us the promised land over almost a thousand years ago, and we lost hope that it would ever happen. I mean, especially when we were slaves in in Egypt and when we were wandering in the desert and had no water. But now God is keeping his promise, and we're alive to see it. I mean, praise God. God for his faithfulness to his people. They they must have been filled with joy, right? At long last, it's finally time. God is keeping his promises. Now, to understand their joy, I have to point out three things to put this into perspective. Their joyful optimism, why it was so significant. First, The promised land was a picture. The promised land was a symbol packed with meaning. It was a a physical place that, that points to a spiritual reality. It points to and represents the kingdom of God. And that means when you're entering into the kingdom of God, you are entering into the presence of the King. To be be in fellowship with God, to know and uh, to know the love, to know the care, to know the strength, to know the acceptance of the creator and sustainer of all things. And that is a theme throughout the Old Testament. The promised land is a picture of all that. And they knew what this meant. And then the promised land is a gift. God talks about the land that I am giving to them. It's not something they earn. It's not something that they could deserve. It, plus, on top of that, they'd remember that, that they were offered this gift 40 years earlier, but they sent spies in and the spies came back and said, you know what, there is no way that we can take this land. Because if you remember the story, the people were way too big. They were giants and they were too powerful. And what kept them out of the land was a lack of faith in God's promise that it was a gift. That it was a promise He fulfills. And it's a gift that that we receive by faith, not by our own might. So the people were absolutely filled with with joy, God is keeping His promises. Doesn't depend on, on on us. I mean, it's all it's all God. It's a it's a gift. But like us, we can know all these things, and then our joy can quickly turn into fear again. Has that ever happened to you? Where you're just absolutely filled with joy, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're you're threatened with your life taking a turn for the worse, and now you're just filled with absolute. Fear? Does that happen to you? You live in this world long enough, it happens more than once. Why are they fearful? Well, they remember that that the people that they're about to face are indeed powerful. Again, 40 years earlier, Numbers chapter 13, the spy said, the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. And they say, we are like grasshoppers compared to them. Right? He says, we can't stand against those people. So that, I mean, man, that would be terrifying. Walking in thinking, it's all going to work out. In addition to that, they're terrified of this dangerous Jordan River that they have to cross to to get there. The Jordan River runs through what's been considered the earth's deepest valley with sharp mountains on on either side, and the river races down into the Dead Sea, which is almost 1,300 feet below sea level, and then the ravine at the bottom of the valley that contains the Jordan River has steep 100-foot slopes. So that means they have to go up and over and down the mountains and down the valley and down the slopes of the ravine to the river. And then once they get to the river, they see that the river is overflowing its banks. It was a season for that where it, it, it just bursts out over the banks. And so it was this raging barrier to the promised land. And they're supposed to cross that? So the people there were powerful, the river was powerful, and Moses is dead. Moses, the guy that God used to to lead them out of slavery, to, to part the Red Sea, to wipe out the oppressors who enslaved them, to lead them through the wilderness, he's dead and they're afraid. But God addresses their fear by doing a couple of things. And the first thing he does is... He provides a new leader. And their new leader is Moses' assistant. How in the world is Joshua going to fill the shoes of Moses, the mighty prophet of God? Well, guess what? He doesn't have to. You know why? Well, his name gives us a hint. Joshua means the Lord is salvation, right? His very name says that, that he's not their salvation. You know, people of the world, you, don't, you can't put your faith and trust in, in men and women in this world, in, in our leaders here in this world. It says that the Lord is their salvation. So trust the Lord, and then God makes it real clear with a great promise to Joshua uh, when He says, "Just as I was with, with, just as I was with Moses, I will be with you, and I will not leave you or forsake you." This is our loving heavenly Father and His message to all of us. You go through the scriptures. Time and time again, you see God's people filled with fear, and God will say to his children, fear not, for I am with you. That produces a joyful optimism that we can have in our unjust, broken world. And then, after God makes these glorious promises and reminds him of his faithfulness, He then calls Joshua to respond to the promise in faith. And he gives Joshua his marching orders. Be strong and courageous because I am with you. Obey the law because I am with you. And meditate on my word, especially when I said that I am with you and I'm not going to leave you and I'm not going to forsake you. Those are his marching orders. And so, okay. What does all of this mean? What's all this mean for us, for you and me, right here, right now, in in our lives? How how does this apply? How can we enter the kingdom of God? We have to do a timeout here, because we can't jump right into that. See, the way we usually want to read the Bible is to look first and primarily for the practical application for our our lives. Be strong and courageous, obey God's law, meditate on it. Now go do it. You're dismissed. But we're not ready for practical application yet. Something critical is, is missing here that, that makes it all work. And if it's not there, nothing will work and will be lost. Have you ever been on a road trip, a long trip, and you missed your exit and did not realize it until maybe a half hour or an hour later? Has that ever happened to, to any of you here? Yeah, four and a half. yeah, four, four and a half. Wow! And you were making good time, right? Real good time. Problem is, it was just in the wrong direction, right? What happens is, is you somehow miss the sign for your exit or the freeway transfer. That sign was a critical reference point. Now you're lost and way off track. Maybe some of you have determined to read the whole Bible this year. That's great. Wonderful. And you're finishing the Old Testament ahead of schedule. And you're making good time. But you'll be lost and off track if you missed the critical reference point that makes it all make sense and gets you to where you need to be. So what is it? Well, Jesus tells us in the New Testament in Luke chapter 24 that all of the Old Testament is about him, about who he is and what he has done, specifically his suffering and glory specifically that, that right there is your reference point. So when we read the book of Joshua, the primary question is is not how does this apply to us. The primary question is how does this point us to Jesus, to who he is and what he's done and the promises he's kept and the promises he's keeping? How how does this portion of of Joshua uh, relate to our reference point? Joshua could not lead God's people into the real promised land. He could not lead God's people into God's kingdom, into God's presence, because Joshua was a sinner just like me. But God is faithful to his promise, and so he sends another leader, the real Joshua. In the New Testament, we read that the angel tells Mary, Mary's husband, Joseph, to give the baby the name Joshua. In English, we call him Jesus. But in Greek and Hebrew, it's Joshua, which means the Lord is salvation. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And only he fully obeyed God's law and perfectly meditated on God's word day and night. Only he was strong enough and courageous enough to lead us into the real promised land. And so, trust in the real Joshua. And and here's what's mind-blowing about all of this. He leads us into the promised land not by bringing God's judgment but by bearing God's judgment. See, on the cross, all of your sin and all of my sin was placed on the real Joshua. And the sky got dark and the earth shook and God poured out his final judgment on Jesus. And God said to the Old Testament, Joshua, I will never forsake you. But on the cross, the real Joshua cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The reason, is that the only way you and I could enter God's presence was for Jesus to be cut off from God's presence. See, God is just, and he must punish sin, but God is also, at the same time, loving, and he does not want to punish us. So what in the world is the solution? What's he going to do? Well, God does the unthinkable. God the Son takes our place on the cross and receives the judgment of sin upon himself. Now, do you know what that means? It means that if there is no judgment, there is no hope for the world. There will be no righting of the wrongs. We will continue to live in a world filled with brokenness and and darkness. Injustice will rule and reign and destroy. I mean, don't you see that the world needs justice? But wait. Since we are not perfectly just, that means that we're unjust. And since we don't always acknowledge God as God, that means that often we decide to be our own God. And since we are not loyal to God, we often have made ourselves His enemy. We had made ourselves His enemies. So how do we escape this justice? The writing of the wrongs. Well, the cross says there's hope for the world, and there's hope for us. Because on the cross, God the Son took the judgment upon himself, and we are no longer his enemies. And we never will be again. And so here's the deal. The most important application that we have for our lives right here and right now is to trust the real Joshua, first and foremost, okay? Don't skip over that. Don't dismiss that as some religious platitude, okay? This is a game-changer trust in the real Joshua it makes all the difference in the world the real Joshua is the one who gives us the real promised land and it's a gift That means that he gives you the kingdom and then he takes your judgment that's good news amen so do you believe it If all of that's true, and if we believe it and agree with that, why is it so often that we lack joyful optimism? You know what? Most people seek joyful optimism in empty platitudes and political parties and circumstances that that can change in the blink of an eye or inspirational Facebook memes. All of them will let you down and rip you off. So, why do we fall for it so often? We forget. We forget. We forget there's a hook in that bait. We forget that God keeps his promises. We forget that the real Joshua has come to us. We forget to actually follow Jesus. King Jesus has given us our marching orders and he's promised us victory through the cross. So in response, follow Jesus. In response to this good news, in response to his promise, in response to his track record, follow Jesus. Let me ask you something. Anybody ever here been in a spiritual slump? I feel far from God. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to hang out with anybody. I don't even want to crack open my body. I I, I feel dead. I feel like God's not here, far away. Any any of you been there? Maybe some of you are there right now. I've been there plenty of times myself. And when we get there, here's an important question That I've learned is is important for me, and I want to share it with all of you. The important question is for me to ask myself whose agenda am I living for? Am I living for my agenda, or am I living for Jesus' agenda? It is so easy for us to be so preoccupied with our, our reputation, with our comfort, with our ambition, with our amusement. We give most of our time and and money and effort and thoughts to our agenda and then we find out that it's just lifeless. That there's no joy in it. And it all just totally misses the point of life and the purpose of life, the meaning of life. So, remember God's promises. Remember the cross and then get back to your marching orders. And the number one marching order is to get with Jesus' agenda. He lived for us. He died for us. He rose again from the dead. And before he ascended to heaven, he got his followers together. And it says, I am giving you the land. Go into all the world and make disciples, and I will be with you until the end of the age. Conquer the world, not with guns, not with bombs, but with God's love and his truth. He tells us to love one another. He doesn't suggest it. He commands us. Love one another. Love each other in such a way that people will see your love for each other and be drawn to Jesus. God, that's how God works. It's part of his agenda for us to be a preview, for us to be a kingdom outpost that reflects what life life is like in the kingdom of God. It is in in a world filled With injustice and everybody looking out for themselves, that is a powerful and compelling testimony to the world. And then God tells us use your words. That's one of my favorite new sayings that's popular use your words. God tells us to use our words. Talk to God about people. Pray, is what he's saying. Pray. Ask God to use you to share his love and grace with people who don't know God yet. Pray for opportunities to show them the love of Jesus in word and deed. Pray that God would open their hearts and do an inside job. Pray that they would finally experience relief and peace in King Jesus. Use your words. And then, use your words by talking to people about God. When God does provide an opportunity. You know, we can talk about the difference that God has made in our, in our hearts and lives, the change that has happened. Uh, you know, that, that we're still, we can freely admit uh, that we're, we're far from perfect and that we're still messed up, but that God is changing us by his, his grace and we can talk about that. No one knows your story better than, than you do. And when you're open and when you're humble and you're vulnerable and just being natural with it all, it leads to the most amazing conversations about Jesus about who he is and what he's done. And let me tell you something. When we stop being so preoccupied with our own agenda and we become preoccupied with Jesus' agenda, it's impossible to stay in a spiritual slump. Impossible. Do you hear what I'm saying? This transforms your life. You'll look at your neighborhood differently. You'll look at your your job differently. You'll look at your whole life differently. You are in a battle armed with love and truth. Can you imagine imagine the Israelites going into the land and forgetting that they're in a battle? We forget all the time. Get with Jesus' agenda. And then secondly, meditate on God's word. That means read it, chew on it, think about it, interpret your life by it, especially when it comes to the message of the cross and God's promise when he says, I am with you always. That will obliterate your spiritual slump and fill you with humility and boldness. And then do all of this in community. You know, when you read Joshua chapter 1, it's easy to forget that we're talking about a community here. We're talking about a community of faith. Joshua says, let's go, and they respond by saying, we will follow. Jesus did not come to us just to save disconnected individuals and to have a relationship between just the individual and God. Yes, salvation is personal, but he came to save a people. To bring individuals into a community that's supposed to show the world what the kingdom of God looks like. Now here's, here's just, some, just some hard truth. The hard truth is this. You won't drift into true community. Rarely does that happen. I've learned people like the idea of community, but they don't like doing what's required for community. Right? It has to be a a deliberate priority. And then if it does become a priority of yours, it doesn't mean everybody else is on the same page as you. And you were just there last month where you didn't want to be a part of it. Now you want to be a community, but they don't. And they're like, well, forget it. It has to be a deliberate priority. So my question for you is this Are there people in your life that help you stay on Jesus' agenda? Are there people in your life that encourage you and and help you? People that you can encourage, people that you can help. And if not, and this is not, I'm not like bringing down the guilt. This is just a diagnosis so we can do something about it. If you don't have people like that in your life, you probably don't care about Jesus' agenda as you think you do or say that you do. But hey, we're making good time. We all need each other. We all have blind spots. We need each other to draw out the implications of the gospel of the cross to every area of lives of our lives. You can't do that by yourself. So, my encouragement to you, get into a crowded house, a home group. We're going to be doing sign-ups next week. If you're new, come to the Coffee with the Pastors tonight. Make sure you sign up. We'll get you connected. If you're a dude, come to the men's breakfast this, this Saturday morning. If, if you're a woman, you go to the women's Bible study this afternoon at, at 3.30. You really want to see it? You really want to experience a community, to see radical change in people's lives? And uh, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday, we're going to have some guys here who were locked up in prison, who met Jesus. God radically changed them. Now they're out, and now they're trying to help their brothers who are inside. And they're going to be here, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday, to tell you their story. And let me tell you something. You you want to see, you think, you want to see how radical God's grace really is, how powerful it can be? Be here for that. Don't miss it. And then try to be here every Sunday. And I'm not being legalistic when I say that. To say that I'm being legalistic when I say that is like saying that I'm being legalistic when I say, you should really keep breathing. Don't be so legalistic, bro. I don't have to breathe if I don't want to. I just say it because it's life-giving, okay? You make it a you plan around it if you can. Life happens, and there, you know. I know there's exceptions, but you know what I'm saying. Forget about all the what about this and what about that. Just prioritize it. We're here as brothers and sisters in Christ, praising Jesus, and 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 uh, it, we're not just going through some religious. Uh, motions. Uh, John tells us in the book of Revelation that in ways that we don't fully understand, when we gather together to worship King Jesus, we are joining the hosts of angels in their worship at the same time. And don't just show up late and leave early, but, but look for someone to bless, someone to encourage. And then go to lunch together, and guess what? You can talk about anything and everything that you want, but also look for ways to encourage each other in your faith. Remind each other about our purpose. Remind each other about our calling. Pray for each other to make a difference in the world. Remind each other about who Jesus is and what he's done to set us free, the new life that he's given to us. And I'm telling you, it will be impossible to stay in a spiritual slump. You will have a sense of purpose and calling. You'll have perspective in this messed up world. I'll close with these two things quickly. First one is this. If you're not a believer yet, my hope is that you feel welcome here. That you genuinely feel that you are welcomed here that you didn't have to jump through hoops to be with us. And I want to tell you some, some critical news, news that I think that you would want to know about so something, that could, so something could be done before it's too late. And with fear and trembling and in all humility, I want you to know that there is a judgment coming. Whether we believe it or not, you know what? There are countless people in Houston who either did not believe the flooding would be so bad or didn't know. And I'm telling you right now, this is probably the most important heads-up you'll ever get in your, This is the most important heads-up you'll ever get in your entire life. And I do not want you to suffer. So I plead with you, do not wait any longer. Right now, we're currently in a day of, of, of grace, so now is the time. There will come a time when the opportunity will be gone. So if you haven't trusted in the real Joshua, if you haven't put your faith in, in Jesus as your deliverer, that must be your top priority in life right now. Nothing is more important than knowing where you will spend your eternity. And you know what? If, if, if you can't take that step of faith with integrity because you don't believe it, if, if, if you can't, if you don't believe that right now, At the very least, keep showing up here. Keep getting to know those who know God's grace and truth. Keep asking questions. Ask God, pray to God that he would show you who he is, who Jesus is and what he's done to make it real to you. He answers that prayer. And for those of you who are believers, I dare you, I dare you to pray this prayer. Tomorrow morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, every morning, I dare you to pray, Father, I am going into the land. Will you give me an open door to show your love and your truth and word and deed to those who need You know what? God is zealous to answer that prayer. So pray for that. And keep a lookout for open doors. And he will give them to you. He is faithful. He wants to work through you. And he will be with you. Amen? Man, would you bow your heads with me, Heavenly Father? Um, we thank you for your amazing patience with us. We are so forgetful, God. I pray, Lord, that that uh, this morning right here, right now, in in this moment, we would remember and be overwhelmed by who Jesus is, what he's done, that you are a loving Father who is with us, who will carry us through anything and everything because you keep your promises. And God, as, as, as we stumble through life in this Broken world, we pray as we reflect on who you are and what you've done, what you're doing, that, that you would fill us with strength and courage. God, forgive us for our forgetfulness. Forgive us for being so preoccupied with our own agenda and, and the foolishness of just turning our backs on what's most important in life the meaning in life the purpose of life to know you to enjoy you to glorify you that it's the best thing for us God we pray that you would just take over our hearts and lives and help our church to be a kingdom outpost, reflecting what kingdom, of God, what life in the kingdom of God looks like. And God, I pray, I plead with you that if there is anybody sitting here this morning that does not know you, that doesn't believe in you, that you would give them eyes to see and courage follow you. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would surround them with people who can encourage them. We pray these things in your name.